Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager. And Richard Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Try to turn away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no school. We are peace, always. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. All right, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 63. My name is Scott Herzog. I'm one of your hosts. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And Miles, we have a very special guest with us on the show. So, uh, you know, with us tonight, Chris from Subspace Communicate. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, we've been uh, dialoguing back and forth over the past months, and I know that you've been helping promote the podcast, so we were happy to have you on, especially tonight where we're interviewing Leo from Star Trek Phoenix, and so that'll be a fun interview a little bit later on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You guys, uh, I know we've been, uh, like you said, we've been talking back and forth for a long time. It's actually good to be able to hear your voices uh, live. I can actually interact with you instead of just listening to the podcast. Yeah, well, you know, I... And uh, it's it's you know we, you know instead of just reading the blog we can hear from you as well. I'm much more interested, interesting in written form than in talking. So <laughs> okay, well we certainly <laughs> enjoy reading your blog and uh, listeners. You can always head on over to Subspace Communicate and we'll give you the digits a little bit later on. But check out his blog and anything you want to know about Star Trek as far as news and what's happening daily almost right, Chris. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much daily. Uh, you can go over and find it and uh, put it in your RSS feed and. Uh, and listen. So it's the first place I go when I look for Star Trek news. That's true. We probably use a lot of news from Star Space UK on the podcast. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so we uh, we try to give credit where credits due. Well, let's. Uh, we have a busy show tonight, and assuming that we we aren't going to be dropping too many calls here, we've already had. Those of you who listen to past shows, every once in a while we have Skype hell from uh, from Miles end of things. I blame Miles. It's probably my it's probably my Skype connection, <laughs> not Miles. But uh, but Miles, are you there yet? Oh, I'm still here. Okay, just checking. You know, you know, don't want to don't want to lose you there. Well, let's talk about on the menu tonight. We have a pretty good menu tonight. And by the way, I just want to say, listeners, uh, you know, what do you want on the menu? You know, Miles and I kind of come up with this menu and we say, oh, this is what we're going to talk about. And, but uh, anything you want on the menu, you just got to let us know. You know, we, we want to serve you the tidbits that, uh, that you want to hear. Miles and Chris, on the menu tonight, we have a ton of good stuff to bring you. We, of course, are serving up our interview with Leo Roberts, founder of Temporal Studios and the writer of the new fan series, Star Trek Phoenix. Chris, did you get a chance to watch Star Trek Phoenix? I did. Yeah, I did. It's uh, it's actually quite good. They yeah, did a fantastic job. It's a pretty phenomenal job. I'm really looking forward to chatting with uh, with them uh, about it. So, we yeah, have, absolutely. We have tons of listener feedback. 
tonight in the menu, we we also announced the winner of our signed Lost Prince. We had some a uh, lot of good people coming out with a lot of good geek cred. In news, we're going to be discussing the Flash Forward season and series finale, why some people thought it failed. Stargate Universe finale, what we're looking forward to because that airs this week. We are, of course, Abrams fans, but are we ready for an Alias reboot? We'll talk about mm-hmm. that, too. Guillermo de Toro quits The Hobbit. What does that mean? Because we, of course, Lord of the Rings fans here. Uh, there's a Logan Run remake in the works, and the Neuromancer by William Gibson is finally getting made into the movie. True Blood Season 2 is out on DVD, and Miles brings you this week in Star Trek. And Jen from New York gives her top five sci-fi finales in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. So that's on the menu tonight. Miles? Yes, Scott. So uh, what does that sound like to you? Good menu? Excellent menu. And you menu. And the best thing about it is you're still here. <laughs> yes. Skype has just not dropped me yet. It has not dropped you. Well, why don't we jump into our show news and listener feedback? And that's really more listener feedback than anything if you scroll down below the interview there. On Facebook, we're, uh, we hit 79 fans on our Facebook page, and uh, we've been trying to hit the 75 for the longest time, so we've finally surpassed that. So, yep. folks, uh, thank you for joining our fan page. Yep, and uh, thank you. And uh, the real Kalis, uh, he posts on uh, the, the TrekCast forums. Uh, he gave us an iTunes review, so uh, thank you, Kalis. Yep, five stars of that. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Always helps. The last podcast, Miles, we had my Sci-Fi 5 and 5 had talked about the five top crashes in science fiction. And we had two people that actually suggested additional ones that I didn't mention. Kate uh, from Twitter uh, mentioned the Matrix helicopter crash, and that was a good crash in sci-fi. Right. I actually, had, the Matrix, I also thought about the tractor-trailer crash when they crashed together, that that's a good crash in science fiction. And then Hearn mentioned the liquid nitrogen truck in Terminator. That's probably one of my favorites. That's actually one of my favorites too. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I'm pretty sure that the scene where where it's actually sliding into the refri- refinery. I'm pretty sure that's um, a miniature, but it's just so awesome. They did a fantastic job with that. You know, I think when I put together the Sci-Fi Five that week, I was thinking of spaceships, which is why those didn't really enter my mind. But they're all a part of the whole Sci-Fi world. Wooly Mitten said that yeah, the that the best show to enjoy doing a 20-hour flight is the Sci-Fi Diner. So thanks, Willie Mittens. We appreciate that shout out on Twitter. He loved the uh, Mirror Furlong interview and the whole, and loved uh, Babylon 5. So huge fan of that. Still a lot of fans of Babylon, of Babylon 5 out yeah. there. Yeah. Chris, did you watch Babylon 5? You know, I because uh, it, it, it started the same time as DS9. So I obviously took the DS9 uh, camp side of that argument, but you know, within the last probably two years, um, I started watching it, and it's surprisingly good. I can't really say anything bad about it. You know, it's the the special effects are a little cheesy, but you know, what are you going to do? But the yeah. story, is, the story in general, is pretty decent. So yeah, yeah. And then uh, in the in the in the last bit of uh, news here is this is from Jen from New York. You're going to hear her Sci-Fi Five and Five. She sent a really long email, so I'm going to read part of it here and part of it at the end of the show. But she said this: "Hey guys, I wanted to write and share my Sci-Fi Five and Five, and also some shows alike. So these are going to be the shows that she likes here. I like Merlin. It's too bad that maybe Sci-Fi Channel couldn't save the Legend of the Seeker show." And uh, maybe that was because uh, Merlin is so close to it. But there's always channels like the USA Network and TNT. Here's holding out for a hero. So kind of she's kind of hoping that Seeker gets renewed 
through some of the endeavors of the uh, the fans, I guess. Another show I'm looking forward to seeing is Warehouse 13, which, of course, Miles, you're a fan of, and I know I'm a fan of. Did you watch mm-hmm. uh, Warehouse 13, Chris? No, I haven't seen any of it yet. Uh, I really liked that show when it came out, and I'm always looking. I'm, I'm also looking forward to the crossover show that's supposed to have that's supposed to have with Eureka, because I guess Warehouse 13 and Eureka are having a crossover show. That was an okay show too. I really like Sanctuary, and another show that looks interesting is a show called Haven. I think it is. I I always like the show that is thought provoking like that, and Pretty Little Liars too uh, looks like interesting for ABC Family. As far as NBC, I'm looking forward to seeing The Cape, which, Miles, we talked about, of course, having our favorite girl, Summer Glau. Uh, yes. CBS, I'll probably see how the pilot goes for the new Hawaii, Hawaii Five O, which I don't really care about, but, you know, more power to her, I guess. Uh, it does have a guy who played Jin on Lost in it, and uh, and then there's Bleep, my dad says. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot they're doing a show on that. Is that right? Is there a show on that? Yep. Yeah. That's funny when Dayton Ward keeps tweeting that stuff. I just, uh, I, I ended up actually subscribing to his feed just because it's so funny. But, uh, I can't say the full title of the show, uh, starring, actually, William Shatner is doing that. I forgot. Yeah, which fits perfectly. <laughs> it does. That <laughs> does fit perfectly. Uh, do, you, do you know when that's coming out? Is that supposed to be a fall show? I think so. Okay. She um, said it kind of reminds me of an Archie Bunker type character. Uh, but I'm surprised they passed the title through in the networks, unless they change it before it airs. What do you think? Do you think they're going to change that title before it airs? I think that they're going to um, they're going to show it, but it's going to have little asterisks and uh, you know exclamation points and that kind of stuff in the the actual word. So, also she likes the Big Bang Theory. It's sad how I can relate to those guys, although I'm not the nerdy type, more like the Jack O'Neill type of geek. Uh, if there is such a thing, I do need the techno babble spelled out in English for me. And ABC has No Ordinary Family, which is another superhero show that sounds interesting enough. Fox is Terra Nova by Spielberg. I'll give that a try too. And The Defenders sounds like an interesting show. I haven't heard of The Defenders. Any no, me neither. Any you guys? That's, that's new to me too. Oh well, um, I have to do a little bit of research on that. So thanks, Jen, for pointing that out. Anyways, I'm sorry if the email is a bit long, but there's a lot of shows I like to watch. I won't blame you if you want to edit anything. And I did do a little bit of editing, but not too much. Thanks, Jen, for writing in, and we're going to be uh, putting your sci-fi five and five at the end of the show. I just wanted to kind of share that as we kind of start off here. Well, Miles, why don't you go ahead and take us in to trivia this week? First of all, tell us the question that was on the docket for the past two weeks. All right. Well, Chris, you might appreciate this question also. Uh, who is Wyatt Miller, and what does he have to do with heroes? And uh, the answer is Wyatt Miller, a character on Star Trek Next Generation portrayed by uh, Robert Nepper. He played uh, Samuel Sullivan on Heroes. And, and that was actually one that I uh, managed to stump Miles on, Chris. <laughs> no kidding. You know, I'm trying to remember who Wyatt Miller was. What episode was that he? That would have been the middle of the first season of Next Gen. He was betrothed to Deanna Troy. Right. Oh, I th- okay. Yeah, I he, gotcha. He's a very young Robert Nepper at that point. Okay, yeah, that's the episode where they have that uh, race of people that are sequestered on that ship because right. of whatever plague. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I should know that, the name of that one. But I, I usually, you know, I like first season next gen. Don't get me wrong. But for the most part, if I don't see a collar on a uniform, I usually don't watch it. You know what I mean? 
Anything after season three. Although, you know, season two is good, though. There's some good episodes in that, too. But Well, I'm, of course, working my way through season one because I've never watched the complete series. So Yeah, there's some unfortunate episodes in season one. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> working my way through them. So I'm almost through. I have another disc or two, then I'll be through season one. But anyways, Miles, what can they? Uh, what what did the uh, winner uh, win? And we'll announce the winner here in a second. The winner is going to win a signed uh, Mir Furlon uh, Dan, uh, Daniel Rousseau on a lost print, and uh, the winner is uh, Valerie from Stockton, California. Yeah, so congratulations, Val, on winning that. We appreciate everyone. We had actually a bunch of people. Uh, email in and uh, Twitter in and said, this is what the answer is. And so I appreciated all of it. We had a good 20 people that knew the answer to this question. So, And we thought it was one of our harder ones, Miles. Uh, I thought it was. Maybe it was just, see, IMDB is great when you have stuff like that. Just type in Wyatt <laughs> Miller and find it out. Uh, before we uh, get into some news, let's jump into uh, our promos. And the first promo we're going to play is from the Save Haven podcast. And I have been listening to this podcast, and they talk about all sorts of things, from Doctor Who to Dragon Con and, and many other things they kind of cover, gaming and so on. And, Miles, did you ever get a chance to check out the Safe Haven podcast? Uh, I have not yet. Yeah, yeah. And, Chris, did you? No, I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, so a little bit more informal. It's a monthly podcast, but uh, here's some props to that podcast. Check out the new geeks on the block at the Safe Haven Podcast, brought to you by the Southern Sci-Fi Society. The Safe Haven Podcast is an informal roundtable where geeks from all walks of life come together to discuss everything from gaming, podcasts, sci-fi, fantasy, horror movies, television, web series, anime, and comics. Each week, there'll be something different and something fun. So check us out at SouthernSciFiSociety.net and get geeky. And screw all y'all. This morning, I was out on the Venice Pier. Whatever I was thinking about doing obviously wasn't meant to happen. pull out which show did you like better and we discussed this flash forward rv miles guess the results what do you think Pro- i'm gonna think flash forward probably got more votes and the results were actually flash forward did 69 percent of the people that voted on that poll said that they would they like flash forward over v so that's pretty big and then when you go to the sci-fi wire they ran their own poll which season finale was your favorite uh, Legend of the Seeker was the top. Fringe was next, and then Flash Forward, a third in the list. So it beat out Chuck Smallville, even beat out Lost. V was way down there, and V is the one that got renewed, which of course is why we were discussing that. Uh, Chris, did you ever tune into V at all? 
Actually, I did. I saw a couple episodes. Um, I I liked it. Um, I was a huge fan of the original V, V, V the Final Battle, and not the series uh, of the original V because it was a little. They tried to make it too kiddified. But yeah, it was good. Again, though, I'm I'm I think I'm a purist when it comes to V. I like seeing aliens eat guinea pigs. Maybe I'm a sicko. I don't know. <laughs> um, I also like all the 80s outfits. You know, something that looks like something Eddie Murphy would wear in Raw. It's very, very similar. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. And I have to say, oh man, and I can't remember her name, from Firefly. She played Diana. Is that right? Uh, yeah, she, uh, she, Marina Baccarin. That's it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she was really good in it. And you know, I think Miles, you enjoyed V, and and I enjoyed V, but I just I thought the Flash floor just it came together much better than V did in the end. Yeah, I think the characters in Flash were were more interesting. We still have one finale left. That's a, that's the Stargate Universe finale. Chris, did you watch Star? Are you a Stargate uh, fan at all? Um, I was a, a big fan of Atlantis. Um, SG-1, I didn't get into until a couple years ago, and I literally watched all ten seasons in less okay. than, like, four months. So, I mean, it was good. Uh, I really enjoyed the last couple seasons with Ben Broder, is that oh, his yeah. name? Yeah, those were fantastic. Um, of course, I was a big uh, Farscape fan, so that kind of played that into helps. that. That helps. Two main yeah. characters from that in the show. Definitely. And I, I watched... Part of uh, universe, um, and maybe I should have given it more time because I hear good things about it. Well, the finale is wrapping up this week, so we'll uh, we'll see what happens Friday. And uh, Miles, are you hoping for anything in particular out of that finale? I'm not sure where it's going. To be honest, I mean, I think I'll probably still deal with the, the Doctor uh, Rush, you know, on Earth. Uh, well, now he's on Earth, still in that spaceship with those aliens. I, I'll probably. Be, be something big with that. So uh, why don't we talk about the next? Uh, we're JJ Abrams fans. Why don't you talk about what him and ABC are now chatting about? JJ Abrams and ABC want to reboot Alias. It looks like uh, one JJ Abrams spy series, uh, NBC's Undercovers, might not be enough for him on TV this fall. Apparently, ABC is in talks with Abrams about rebooting his earlier TV spy venture, Alias. The new series would have some elements of the original that propelled Jennifer Gardner to stardom. However, they would skip the intricate mythology involving the Rambaldi prophecy. While the discussion is only in the very initial stages, according to uh, Dos Santos's ABC insider source, they believe that ABC is looking to hold on to its lost audience, especially now that the series ended and Flash Forward was canceled. Spies are an especially hot genre right now. Beyond NBC's Chuck and USA's uh, Burn Notice, there are two new series, NBC's Undercover and uh, The CW's Nikita. Alias premiered on ABC in 2001 and ran for five years, averaging about 8 to 10 million viewers, except in the final year when it captured just under 7 million viewers. Are you excited at the thought of rebooting Alias, or do you think Hollywood has run out of original ideas? What would you like to see in star in the new version? Good questions here. I I don't know. What do you guys what do you guys think of this? You know, I don't know if I'm really keen to rebooting a series that only ended in two thousand six. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kinda like uh, Brian Singer's reboot of Battlestar that's coming up. I think the reboot thing is, is getting a little old. Yeah, and I guess my my question is ABC just ran through a season where they premiered V and Flash Forward, two sci fi uh, oriented shows kind of hitting the same audience. You put Alias in there along with, I thought that they had another spy venture that they were also looking at, ABC was also looking at. Aren't they doing, Azair's uh, No Ordinary Family is on another network. 
I don't recall which network yeah. that works. But anyways, it just seems like, you know, how many sci-fi shows can a network do? Yeah, I would say if they were good sci-fi shows, do as many as you can. But right. uh, it, it, mediocre sci-fi shows, it just waters down the, the genre to me. You know, here, here's the thing. I mean, right now, you know, Abrams is like the golden child of TV. I mean, you know, he lost. Uh, Fringe has done real well for him. Uh, Lost did well for him, although it kind of meandered in the middle of the seasons. Uh, Alias, obviously, uh, was there. If his hand is in it, certainly can potentially work if you get the right star, if you get the right front runner in the show. Yeah, and I'm really, I'm more of the, the I have more of the idea that I want to see more original spy and uh, sci-fi uh, shows. Uh, you're rebooting, I, I think... Yeah, I just think it's getting a little long in the tooth. Well, uh, let's move into some movie news, unless you have any other comments there, Miles, on the alias. I never watched the show, so I have. it wouldn't matter to me if they rebooted it or not, but I, I, I agree with both of you. They're, they're good. Hollywood's just getting too, you know, the whole review thing is just getting old. Now, I, did, I watched a few episodes of Alias, and Jennifer Gardner was pretty hot in it. So, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's one reason to, one reason to watch it, at least. And I know people that have had the entire seasons on uh, DVD. I just never got into it that much. But maybe it's something on Netflix sometime. Mm-hmm. So is is the deal with with Holly, Hollywood rebooting? Um, you know, all these different series. Is it more cost effective for them? Is that is that the deal? Do you guys have any idea? That's an excellent question. If it's no, I think that I think that uh, if you're rebooting something, I think part of the reason that they're being rebooted is that they're easy. They know that the, the franchises and uh, storylines of rebooting, they know have worked in the past. Right. So I guess it's less of a chance then. It's less of a chance and there's a good chance if it's if the material hasn't dated itself and all you're doing is updating the effects and updating maybe the outfits and the stories are, are good stories that, that you're going to reach a new generation. Yeah, I could see that. I actually have a suggestion for uh, for Hollywood, let's bring back Firefly. Hey, you know, yeah, let's, let's reboot that. Yeah, let's bring that back. I mean, <laughs> really, if we're going to reboot something, let, let's definitely do something that was fantastic. <laughs> right, and, and it still it's, it's still has a still has a huge cult following. So. Right, and have you guys talked to or, or seen? Uh, is it the Brown Coat Regulars? Yeah. Is that the the fan series uh, for a, I Firefly? Know we, we talked uh, we talked to Browncoat's Redemption, which is that's uh, it. Okay, uh, we talked to them at one of the cons and did an interview with them, and are really looking forward to the release of Redemption coming out in uh, I believe Dragon Con. So over Labor Day is when that's due out. So. Yeah, that looks that looks really good. Looks uh, on par with uh, Phoenix in quality. So yeah, yeah, and um, they have some of the Neo Effects has done some of the work in that too. So very cool. It seems like getting the Hobbit movies done continues to be far more difficult than it should be given how many people want to see them and how big the resulting box office money would be. After numerous delays summed up nicely in Wikipedia, it seems to be like the movies were finally on track until OneRing.net dropped this bombshell. Guillermo de Toro announced today that he's no longer directing the two movies based on J.R. Tolkien's Hobbit, but will continue to co-write the screenplays. Out of respect for the legions of loyal Tolkien fans, both Guillermo and Peter Jackson wanted to break the news to the One Ring first. They are both committed to protecting the Hobbit and will do everything in their power to ensure the films enter everything that the fans want them to be. De Toro told the site, I'm faced with the hardest decision of my life, says Guillermo. After nearly two years of living, breathing, designing a world as rich as Tolkien's Middle-earth, I must, with great regret, take leave 
from helming these wonderful pictures. I remain grateful to Peter, Fran, Philippa Boyens, New Line of Warner Brothers, and to all my crew in New Zealand. I've been privileged to work with one of the greatest countries on earth and with some of the best people ever in our craft and in my life will be forever changed. Blessings have been plenty, but the mounting pressures of conflicting schedules have overwhelmed the time slot originally allocated for the project. Both as co-writer and director, I wish the production nothing but the very best of luck, and I will be the first in line to see the finished product. I remain an ally to it and its makers, present and future, and fully support the smooth transaction of the new director. I don't know. What do you uh, What do you guys think of this, Miles? Why don't you just take it away? What are your thoughts on this? I wonder what they're not telling us. I, I wonder if 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 the stress of trying to get this thing going is just so overwhelming, and that's why he's he, he's leaving it. Maybe. Uh, it sounds like they're still allegedly on track for December two thousand twelve, two thousand three, as far as uh, two thousand thirteen as the rese- as releases, but. Uh, I don't know. He seems to suggest in his little conversation there that he has the, the pushing back of the schedule conflicted with other projects maybe he's involved with, too. I mean, I don't know. Chris, what do you mm-hmm. want? Well, you know, it, as long as they get the right person behind the helm and, and they don't actually, if they don't take, um, or I shouldn't say they don't take too long. That's not what I was trying to say. But if, if they don't try and rush the film, if they're having to start over, uh, with a new director, I think they should push back the release date, just so the film doesn't suffer. You know right. what I'm saying? Well, and I think that these dates are always tentative, but sure, absolutely. Yeah, I know that that uh, studios do invest a lot of money into setting a certain date uh, due to demographics and whatever you know uh, groups that they they put it in front of. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just hoping they don't try and rush the film. Yes, uh, there is a Logan's Run remake in the in the works. Uh, well, remember there was a Logan's Run remake. It was back a long in development remake of the 1976 sci-fi classic uh, Logan's Run. A long in development remake is finally back on track with the addition of a new director for the project, according to the Hollywood Reporter's Heat Vision blog. Carl Rinch is the name now attached to the director movie, which is being produced by Joel Silver and Akiva Gold- Goldsman. Silver told reporters last weekend during press interviews for Splice, which he also produced, that he will still eager to remake Logan's run. A script has been around for a while, although a new one will probably be written if the movie uh, goes forward again. You know, the, the director um, uh, that they're now attaching is Carl Rinch, and we talked about him earlier. He was attached originally to the what the Alien prequel until Ridley Scott decided to kind of jump on board with that. We recently talked about him in his little um, Phillips commercial, The Gift. I don't know if uh, Miles, do you remember us talking about The Gift? Yes, and I, yes, I do, and I, and I watched it. Yeah, and unfortunately, that is not going to become a feature film. Although we kind of reported that they were talking about it, apparently Phillips won't give up the rights for it. But uh, did you see that? Did you see that uh, little short, The Gift, that was floating around there, Chris? No, I think I missed that. Yeah. Although I have to say, I'm looking forward to the Logan's Run remake. Even though I said that reboots are terrible, uh, <laughs> Logan's enough, Run is enough time in that one, though. Yeah, definitely. Logan's Run's one of my favorite movies. In fact, I had a Logan's Run themed birthday party for my 30th birthday. Awesome. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I actually had the little white crystal in my palm, whereas people under you know 30 had the had the red crystal. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Michael York. That's he was fantastic in that movie. I love Michael I, York. Oh, yeah. And I remember a couple years back that there were rumors of Leonardo DiCaprio being in uh, Logan's Run. It might have been the Brian Singer version. 
but yeah, I'm I'm on board with this. I think it'll be great. Is that the greatest sci-fi novel? Asterisk is finally going to be filmed. Some people consider William Gibson's Neuromancer about a hacker going on missions in cyberspace and dealing with artificial intelligence. The greatest science fiction novel ever. In 1984, that was groundbreaking stuff. The novel inspired movies like Ghost in the Shell and the Juan Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, and the Philip K. Dick Award. Now it's 2010, you might think that online hacking and AI are old news, but one filmmaker thinks it's finally time to bring Neuromancer to the big screen. Vincenzo, Natalie, I'm totally botching the name, writer-director of Splice, and then another Splice reference here, has written a screenplay. And he, uh, the story goes on to talk about him collaborating, or at least running the ideas by William Gibson himself. So this is kind of it. I have, I'm familiar with William Gibson. I read, I don't, I, I read I read part of Neuromancer. I don't think I read the whole thing, but it's certainly a, one that has been hailed a classic. And I always like to see good books turned into film. I guess the idea, I guess it's more will the, will the idea work? I mean, I don't know. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Uh, sure. I mean, it um, as long as it's they do it right, they get a good script. Um, doesn't you know? Maybe. Re- Going back to an old idea, but I think it's as, as long as it's done well, I think people will go see it. Yeah. Well, I need, as long as there's no Keanu Reeves in it. I mean, come on. He's a bit, he's <laughs> yeah. a bit, he's a bit old for that role. Johnny Mnemonic yeah. and... Uh, I, I was just going to mention that, Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, as long as they're not making something like that, we'll be all uh, all good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, something that works like The Matrix that may be updated or, you know, they update the effects and everything... Uh, I mean, because the Matrix, it all for all intents and purposes, was a ha- was a hacker movie. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and any really any movie that's based in the cyberpunk, uh, you know, universe is, is good in my book. I think that uh, if, if they if they do make it modern, if they if they update some of the the uh, computer systems mentioned in the book, I think it could be good. Yeah, I mean, the stuff is going to going to be changed because a lot of stuff has happened in the computer world, you know, since 1984 when the book came out. Just update that, but you keep the premise, the story the same, and I think you can have a good time with it. Yeah, I, I'm all for it. Real briefly here, let's get into some uh, DVD news. And True Blood, it came out with a complete second se- season on DVD, and it's available on Amazon if you're interested. I have not watched any True Blood, but I know it's a series that is very insanely popular. Have you watched any True Blood? No, I haven't. No. Um, I've heard I've heard tons of stuff about it. It's very popular. Yeah, and I, I it's apparently very good. But I, I'm not a huge vampire person. I mean, some of the, I mean, I'll go and watch like Underworld and stuff like that. But uh, it's just not a doesn't so it's not something I gravitate to. Yeah, no, it's not my thing either. This week is Star Trek. This week in Star Trek, and uh, Chris will appreciate this. I saw this in Subspace Communique. Uh, Rachel Weiss would love to be in a Star Trek sequel. Known for a true gambit of uh, film types and genres, uh, Rachel Weiss has been everything from a mummy hunter to a rumored Bond girl in the next uh, Daniel Craig James Bond film. She's also slated to play the former First Lady in a Jackie O biopic. In the interview, uh, Clyder asked, uh, any potentiality on the horizon we are looking at, you're like, you know what, I would love to do that series, like all the different comic book adaptations are, are happening. Um, and, and Rachel uh, Weiss said, yeah, you know what, I love Star Trek. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how great. I, I meant to write J.J. Uh, Abrams a letter. I haven't written it yet, though. I just thought, well, didn't you think it was tremendous? And Collider responded, yes. I just thought it was tremendous. And, and Collider responded, and it worked on several different levels. It worked not just artistically, but also commercially. And it was accessible to people who weren't necessarily fans of the series. So I think Rachel Weiss might uh, 
she may fit well in the next movie if they can get her a good good role. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it depends on what what she plays. Um, she's a great actress. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw The Fountain. Uh, that movie was tremendous. Yeah, and it was it was almost uh, too heart wrenching. Uh, good movie, nonetheless. Um, and yeah, it's funny, you know, you see a lot of people wanting to be in Star Trek uh, now that uh, the J.J. Abrams flick was so successful. Um, kind of jumping on board there. Uh, Star Trek's cool, I guess, now, and people people are really wanting to get uh, get in, get involved. It was a commercial success, so sure, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, she totally needs to not call him Dr. Spock, though. That's like a pet peeve of mine. Uh, before we head into our interview with with Leo from Star Trek Phoenix, let's go ahead and um, play our last promo. And Miles, you and I have both been listening to the Leviathan Chronicles, a phenomenal podcast series. We played them at the end of our episode, but I wanted to give them some, t- some props here earlier on in our episode. This is an awesome patio book. Patio book, I guess, is what they're calling them. I'm up to chapter eleven. But it's a phenomenal series. And Chris, have you ever heard of the Leviathan Chronicles? No. Uh, give me a little uh, background on it. There's this group of people who uh, have found a way to become immortal. Uh, but there is, it's kind of a, uh, it, it has, it's a spy, spy thriller, uh, political intrigue, um, conspiracy theory. And then, yeah, and it's just great. There's this idea of these internals and whole alien encounter and everything else. Uh, that happens throughout the uh, Leviathan Chronicles, but it's it's really well written. The effects are phenomenal. It feels like you're you 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 bought and paid twenty thirty bucks for a professional audiobook. It's really oh, well that's done. cool. Really well done. If you want to check it out, Leviathan Chronicles, just pop into iTunes somewhere and you can easily find it. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Anyways, here's a promo for Leviathan Chronicles. Uh, make sure you check them out. And right after this, you're going to hear our interview with Leo from Star Trek Phoenix. We'll be deploying at over 70,000 feet. The suits will supply us with oxygen and maintain our body temperature. Air is almost non-existent at this altitude, and the negative pressure would literally boil your blood. I'm scared, Sension. I'm scared too, friend. Distance to target, 11,000 meters. All right, then. Here we go, Nathaniel. Ready? Jump. The wait is finally over. Leviathan City exists at over 35,000 feet under the ocean. Tell me what is hidden here, Evangeline. The pieces are in place. It is the sanctuary for a group of immortals that have existed there for the last thousand years. I regret that I have kept certain aspects of our mortal existence secret. And soon, that which is hidden. That is, until one group decided to leave paradise and live amongst humanity will now be revealed it's now or never and one secret black door is the only thing that stands in the way of the genocide of the human race will ignite a war (laughs) that will span the globe what are those things black door knows we're into battle And not everyone. Please, Talia. We'll get out alive. I'm so sorry, McCown. Fire again. Fire everything. I have wanted to do this for over a millennia. Why would Evangeline want an army? 
I fear something very sinister is hovering around the Leviathan. It's time to get ready for war. On May 26th, Chapter 25, the season finale of the Leviathan Chronicles will drop. Go to iTunes or www.leviathanchronicles.com to listen to current episodes and get ready for the biggest chapter in the Leviathan saga. I want to live. gentlemen we were treated last year with a new star trek movie that re-energized the franchise and for many of you it's leaving you wanting more well if you're looking for some new and exciting star trek i'm delighted to tell you you won't have to wait until 2012 for the new star trek movie you can go online and watch star trek phoenix an exciting webisode which many are saying is the most professionally done independent fan film ever produced and tonight we'll be talking with the man who is the producer and director of star trek phoenix mr leo roberts leo welcome to the sci-fi diner podcast Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly a pleasure uh, having you. We, we've all, I think, uh, really have enjoyed what we have seen and uh, kind of kind of left us wanting for more <laughs> uh, regarding the whole Star Trek uh, Phoenix. So, uh, so uh, you've done tons of other writing before, right? Uh, when I was checking out online, you've written you've written some screenplays, you've written some theater. Is that correct? We are, as a temple of studios, the, the studio that's behind Phoenix, yes, we actually have quite a few projects that are in development that do include some features, uh, actually two original TV series, and also theater production. So we, uh, we've been some busy folks lately. Yeah. So, so, so why do a Star Trek fan film in the midst of all that? Well, you know, it, it never was really intended to be, uh, to be entirely honest. I, I said this before a long time ago that when Phoenix came about, it was more or less just an idea just to see, you know, what would happen and, and, and uh, kind of do it for fun. You know, it was along the same lines as some of the other fan productions as far as using green screen and just getting, you know, your toes wet a little bit and that, that kind of filmmaking and that's kind of how it started. But then with Seattle being such a huge sci-fi town and with, you know, online companies such as Microsoft and all the others, the production just literally exploded. And uh, it's become this massive monster <laughs> that we call Phoenix. That's kind of how it really, really started. Oh, well, well, very cool. Very cool. And uh, and you, have you been a Star Trek fan all your life? You know, I have been. Uh, ever since my uh, folks took me to see Star Trek II in the theater when it came out uh, in 1982 is really when I kind of got hooked. I had already... You know, seeing Star Wars, it was a theater for the first time. <clears throat> I was very young, I mind you, and so, you know, seeing Star Trek was kind of different than how they, they presented science fiction. So, it was kind of how it started, and then I uh, quickly became friends with um, James Dewan, who played Scotty in the original series, uh, since he was in the Seattle area. So, that's kind of my background as far as being a Trekkie. Leo, tell us when and where Star Trek Phoenix takes place. Phoenix takes place actually 42 years following the motion picture called Star Trek Nemesis, so basically after the final uh, TNG film. So it's around the year 2422. 20, really, their journey begins in 2421, but the series jumps one year into 
um, their maiden voyage to give us uh, some interesting backstory that we can tell in the future. So, um, 42 years roughly is about it. Yeah. When talk about a backstory, this is, has to be one of the first, uh, well, fan films and obviously in any of the franchises where we have a, a starship that's not really under the control of his captain. Correct. It's, it's, it is more of a political ship. Um, as you know, you can see in the pilot, you can also see, um, probably some of the other vignettes, just a little bit of the taste of what's really going on, which is, you know, the, the politicians are kind of in control of the ship and they really have not, um, allowed the captain to select his crew, which is, you know, typical Starfleet protocol. In this particular case, they are doing things a little bit differently, and there are reasons for that, of course. Which so. we will find out in the future, I imagine. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. As do we. Yeah, as do we. That's right. Chris, did you have any questions? You know, but uh, I was going to mention one of the coolest things about Star Trek Phoenix. I mean, obviously, besides the, you know, well-written... Uh, story and cool special effects and good acting, whatever. My favorite part was the uh, wormhole transporters. I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> idea. That was that has been far most the most popular um, effect that the fans seem to like, which we had no idea it would be that way. Yeah, I thought that was just fantastic. I mean, you know, transporter technology is is cool, but adding wormholes to it—that's like the icing on the cake. Super cool. Yeah. Well, you know. It's, it's something that we had to think about when I, not to go too far into it, but a lot of people have asked us, you know, how do you intend to show 42s in the future? And we really had no idea. I mean, we, we have spent a lot of time respecting canon, what has been done before, respecting the vision of Gene Roddenberry, and have spent a lot of time researching what, um, could be. And, you know, we even, we even approached some of the actual professionals who worked on all the series, like Rick Sternblock, for example, and, and ask these folks, you know, if Roddenberry was still alive, he came to you and asked and said, look, I'm, I'm building another series into the future that's past the next generation. You know, what would you make it, what would you, what would it look like? And what are some of the props and technology? And then frankly, just about all of them said, we really have no clue. And, <laughs> you know, we can, it's kind of funny to hear, you know, the experts who, who've done this for years and has the history behind them say they don't really know. Because it's really, really tough to try to, you know, not just go off in one total direction and totally be bizarre, but yet try to respect everything that the fans have come to, to like and, and to love. So, you know, we, we thought 42 years, meh, it really did start with the drive of the ship. It wasn't uh, the transporters first. You know, we, we were sick of transport technology. We're, we've had enough of quantum slipstreams from Voyager, so... You know, what do we really do? So we came up with the type of drive the Phoenix has, which lends its way to the transporters, and it just seems to be, or was rather, a natural progression. So that's kind of how it came to be. Yeah, I was going to say, it really is a natural evolution of uh, Starfleet tech. So I thought it was kind of allusions to, um, I remember in D-Space 9, the, I'm, kind of, I'm geeking out for a moment, so forgive me, but the uh, Jem Hadar, or, the, or the, uh, um, the Dominion had the ability to... Tr- uh, transport through subspace, so it, it, it's kind of cool. It, it, I don't know if you remember or t- took something from that, but just it, it kind of is a nice link between the two. You know, actually, 
we, I mean, we were very familiar with it, but we're really trying to make everything original. It's something that I've, I've said since day one for anyone that comes to work on this production, you know, for all 150-plus people saying, you know, whatever you bring to this needs to be original. We're not right. going to copy anyone. We're not going to, you know, recreate something. We're really, you know, we'll, we'll recreate what we need to at the bare minimum, but no, we, this was entirely original. Even all of the visual effects were completely from scratch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're, now did you uh, talk with other people that had done fan films prior to launching into Phoenix or did you just kind of do your own thing here? You know, when I first started, I really didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, um, so I consulted uh, someone that works on uh, Hidden Frontiers, and he was very gracious to um, tell me what I needed to do, you know, the steps to take as far as getting attention and and to really find volunteers who, who were serious. And, you know, following his guidelines were very successful. Obviously, it's led to, uh, you know, where we are today. Um, but... But just, you know, I, I had no idea how to do this. I mean, I, 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 I've been in before, don't get me wrong. I was a former casting director and, a, and a, a production coordinator here in town. But, you know, as far as this fan filmish, no, first time. Oh, wow. Uh, now, I, I noticed that uh, uh, NeoFX uh, has also had a part of this. Did they just have a part in the title sequence, or was, that, um, or was their part larger with the effects? You know, Michael Strzok and NeoFX have done an amazing job. They did do the title uh, credit opener, is what we call it. Um, they did everything, you know, that, every piece of that, um, barring the actual titles that appear um, and the music. But they did that, and they did some of the uh, visual effects, mostly towards the end of uh, part one of what they had done. But again, they did... They, I, I hope stretch their uh, experience and imagination a little bit from what I'm told. So um, I'm glad that they were able to help us. Yeah. Well, very cool. We, of course, ran into them through uh, Starship Farragut, which is uh, obviously trying to keep something a little bit more in the vein of the original Star Trek. Right. Yep. Uh, uh, now, the, the cast, tell me about the uh, – are most of the actors that you have here, are they professional actors that you kind of linked in and roped into the project? Right. I mean, being a casting director, of course, I, I mean, I have the experience of finding professional actors for one of the projects that I've done, and, and it's ranged from, you know, film, commercial, to, to regular indie films. And I thought, you know, I see a lot of fan films where the, you know, it's usually the creator who is the captain or, you know, it's family and friends. And that's great. I mean, it, it, it works for what they're doing. It's the chemistry that you need. And... For, for Phoenix in particular, I wanted all professional actors, and um, so every single one that's on this production is, is a professional. I like how um, the Doctor and the Captain's uh, friendship, it's, I know you're doing something original, but it's kind of what made Star Trek great was the, the friendships, and uh, you definitely see what the, the relationship with the Captain and the Doctor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a little bit, uh, you know, the original. Um, that was always a popular, you know, uh, a formula, if you want, if you will. So, I mean, we, we did, we did take that as almost a template, but we definitely made it our own, I think. I don't, I don't think it's an exact copy, and, and they do, they do an amazing job in the characters. You, you mentioned Neo effects. Um, uh, who else did you get involved to uh, do the special effects? And is it uh, another part of the question? 
Um, how much is green screen and how much is live sets? Beyond the OFX, I mean, we, we recruited a bunch of folks who's here in the Seattle area. I mean, we had two visual effects supervisors who uh, managed different pieces of it. And, and the reason for that is because we had a quick turnaround time. You know, we had a lot of, of post-production right after we uh, finished shooting in January of this year. And our, our goal was to present it at a convention that we had promised last year that we would be at. So literally it was, <clears throat> I want to say, two to three months, if that. Um, but as far as with green screen, um, if you look at the two office scenes that are considered flashbacks that involve the Admiral, that whole wall that you see uh, of San Francisco and, you know, shuttles flying by, that's total green screen, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, the ceiling that's in the transporter room is nothing but green screen. Um, the floor that surrounds the transporter pad is also green screen. Um, i trying to remember what else is. There is one shot at the very beginning where you see the captain. It's a pull-away shot from him when he's doing a voiceover at uh, the captain's log. That's also green screen. Um, but the rest of it's complete set or it's on location. Now you mentioned uh, since we're talking about effects and, and some and, and such, tell us about the, the Star Trek Phoenix itself, the ship itself. Um, what modifications have you made into this sort of class of ship? You know, fifty years in the future, we talked about the drive. Obviously, we talked about the transporter, but were there other modifications you also tried to incorporate? Well, I mean, part of part of the evaluation of what you know, trying to bring forth. 42 years into the future, other than, you know, some of the technologies that you saw, is that, you know, we we wanted to really bring a starship uh, to the fans, but we didn't want to go too far with it. You know, we were already changing the uniform concepts, uh, making it a little bit more dark, changing the color, color concepts. You know, so we just kind of took it not too far, but making the technology where the real leaps are. So, I mean, the ship being, what, uh, 1,400 meters long, 46 decks, and literally can hold about 10,000 crew. It's, it's big. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, to use a fan's perspective, you can take six aircraft carriers and put them end-to-end, and that's the entire length of the Phoenix. You know, the reality is it still has to look like Star Trek. I mean, you can't change the ship too much. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, we had... Um, We've partnered with, um, I'm drawing a blank, I, I apologize, one of our, <laughs> he's very well known. He's the gentleman who created the Enterprise, all for the motion picture, he created the Enterprise D, um, and also for the bridge and so forth, and he presented a design uh, to us of what the Phoenix could look like. It was very cool, I, I will fully admit, it's very cool. But the problem with it was, it was almost too Star Wars ish. Mm. It was almost too far advanced into the future. I mean, it was beyond even the time shift relativity that we saw in Voyager. Um, it was way past even uh, Enterprise J from Enterprise in that one episode called uh, Azadi Prime. So we were just really trying to just keep it Star Trek and not take it too far uh, advanced. Well, Chris, do you have any? Uh, do, do you have uh, any other questions here? Yeah, you know, I was just going to ask. Do you think we'll see the bridge of the ship in the next episode? Yes. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, right. 
Actually, one of the, one of the uh, things, well, one of the many things that's in part two is all the sets. Uh, it's the bridge, it's the you know, engineering, it's the sick bay, it's the captain's quarters, it's it's all those things that, you know, need to be constructed to complete the story, but also, you know, make it a whole complete pilot. So do you already have those uh, those sets actually built, or are you guys in the process? You know, we're, we're in a conceptual phase right now. Um, to be entirely honest, this pilot was not too incredibly expensive. It was expensive enough, but part two, uh, we estimate for the budget to be 12 times what part one is. Oh, my god! Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, when oh. you're talking about sets and that the level of production value that we've presented, we literally have to create the sets to be, you know, TV at least equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's you know we've totally taken away from everything. I mean, so if we're going to do it, we have to do it right. You guys would actually have to make them a little bit better than um, uh, next gen or DS nine because you're shooting in HD, right? Oh, absolutely. That's the other part. You know, you you get that clarity and and you know it's, it's, HD is wonderful to watch things in, but when you're filming it, it it's hard because <laughs> you know we've talked to some of the set builders for next gen and they even told us you know they. Some of the materials they use is the same thing as we were using, but back then it wasn't HD, so they could get away with quite a bit if it's flaws. Well, HD, you can't, you really can't get away with that much because it's so crystal clear. You know, close-ups are a nightmare, to be honest. Something else you guys are doing that I'm impressed with, um, the transporter, the, the holographic controls. Is that um, something we might see on the bridge? Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, that, yeah, all the controls are all holographic interfaces. That was just just a, just a bare touch of what interfaces will look like. You know, that's we're just trying to give a little bit of a taste to the fans of how it's going to be on the bridge. Matter of fact, the bridge design is it's very different. It's 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 definitely recognizable as being Star Trek uh, as far as you know, the positions and and how the bridge is overall designed. But it definitely has some different genres into it. It's not just Star Trek. It has a, there's some elements of Star Wars that's in it, there's some elements of, you know, Lost in Space, that uh, 90s movie. So it's, it's, it's definitely something different. We definitely have, you certainly have raised the bar for other, uh, fan films that are out there that are being produced and, uh, um, and, you know, I think that most of us, uh, come on down, uh, you know, come down and saying that this is probably one of the, uh, the best, and even though it's even though it's a pilot, like you said, and, and you're you know you're you're pushing yourself beyond that, it certainly is certainly an impressive pilot. You know, I I have to apologize to you know anyone that's in a another fan production that feels that we've really kind of done that because it really wasn't intended to do that. What it really was about for us was that we're trying to present what Seattle can do its best for having a low budget, for being a fan film, and being 100% volunteer, you know, these people have taken their personal time to use their expertise and experience to devote to to this project that has no hope of making any money ever, because it can't. Right. So, you know, the fact that we were able to deliver what we did, I think, is actually uh, incredible. And every person on this production uh, has done such an amazing job. 
Now, will the will the so, some fan films will will give out at conventions will give out the episodes and DVDs. Is is it is Star Trek Phoenix basically going to be an online thing? Are you going to be giving it out in DVDs, or are people going to be able to donate and get a DVD? Or I mean, how's that going to work? Part of, part of the problem of being a fan production, it's not. I mean, it's not. It is a problem. But it's also a challenge. Is that we. We have to maintain the aspect that we really are not making any money on this because that is what will get us that cease and desist. And, you know, we, our entertainment attorneys, just not only for Phoenix, but also for Temporal, have basically prohibited us from even remotely giving the idea that we can give something in lieu of a donation. So we've kind of pulled back on that because people have asked us for, you know, props, um, for posters, and other things, and we just kind of said, you know, we just, if you want the production to continue, we just don't want to take any unnecessary risks that gives the impression to CBS or Viacom that we're making any money whatsoever. Right. So right. It's, 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 it's a hard place to be. It's very, very challenging for us. Yeah, it is. And people can still obviously donate online or contact you to, to make donations if they want to give toward it. Right. Matter of fact, we, we have actually just uh, working on creating a partnership with an organization that allows all the donations made to Phoenix to be completely tax deductible. So it's something we're working on that we're um, in the midst of getting ready to announce. So it's something that's very, very different that a lot of fan productions have not been able to offer. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, one other question. Are you guys going to have a presence in at Vegas in August? From my impression uh, of the you know the official Star Trek convention, I didn't think that fan productions were actually really there. I thought it was really focused on you know it being about the actual stars that have been in Trek and the Trek family and, and the fans. So I, I could be completely ignorant on this, but from what I've been told, I, I don't think there are any fan productions there. Please correct you know, me if they, I'm wrong, though. They probably show up um, not officially, I would imagine. Um, right. Yeah, that would actually be a better question for like uh, one of the guys in Vegas. Um, but yeah, I could imagine that there would be at least some presence there. Probably, like I said, not officially, but it would be cool to see you guys there. It'd be fantastic. I know. I know there is talk and discussion of us being at DragonCon uh, in September. Not entirely. Cool. That entirely depends, though, because we um, were, unfortunately, at the same time, our debuting our, um, our one of our theatrical productions here in Seattle, it's a comedic, comp, comedic play, so it's kind of, we're, we're working on the logistics of all that, so we'll see. Um, as far as August, there's no plans for us to be there right now. But you know that can always change. What can we be looking forward to as we wait for the upping, upcoming installments to uh, the Star Trek Phoenix story? Uh, and, and if I understand correctly, there is twelve more installments planned. There's there's definitely a um, an outline that goes over the episodes as far as you know, how we're going to take this. I, I have to say, part two is basically an hour long, so it makes the entire pilot a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we're really focusing on the development of that. It's a huge endeavor. I mean, you are really looking at a feature film with the crew and that we're having to assemble the amount of sets, the location to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's massive. It really is a feature film. So, I mean, it's, that right there is taking a lot of uh, time and effort just to plan all of that out, um, not to mention obtaining the financial support to make it happen. 
as far as beyond that, I mean, once the sets are built, it, it will enable us to go into production a lot easier. Um, you know, and, and cranking out the episodes will just be a matter of, you know, editing and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it just really, if we get sets built, we can really be on our way to continue telling the entire story. It's, it's Phoenix is a very interesting interesting uh, series. It's what we have called, uh, not purposely, the loss of Star Trek. So, yeah. Now, uh, in saying that, I mean, you kind of wet our appetites here in April with the release of the... Uh that first half an hour of the uh, of the film. Uh, when when can we? When are you? What's your tentative goal, at least as far as putting out the next segment? You know, it's a very good question, and I and I'm honest when I ask this question. We we really are. We don't really know at the moment. I mean, we we would love to get it out as soon as possible, but again, it really comes down to you know the the financial circumstance that we we've encountered. I mean, we really need to find those financial. Uh, the financials to make it happen. We, as, as you know, as regular people who work everyday jobs like everyone else, I mean, we're not capable of producing, even as a whole, the amount of money as needed to tell part two. So that's one of the reasons why we, we're going through some of the steps, such as to get this uh, pseudo, if you will, 501c3 status to give us the tax deductible ability um, to do these kind of things. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, we're working very, very hard to to make it happen. Um, it's just, you know, we're, we're telling people if you like what you've seen and you want to see more at the same level, you know, that we started, then what we need is your help to get it done. Now, where can uh, where can they go to find out ways they can contribute and give to uh, Star Trek Phoenix? Probably the best thing right now until we've made a formal announcement regarding our relationship with this organization, which is coming very soon, is to just contact the production and we can give them one-on-one information to find out, you know, really what they want, how they want to help. I think at that point, it's probably the best thing to do um, because we, we're not allowed to announce it yet. We, we're right. still working through a couple of details that are very minor and it's just logistics and stuff like that and how to, how to present it on the website, you know, um, there's a huge amount of fiscal responsibility that surrounds this so that CBS and Viacom are very much aware that this money is being managed by a third party. We're not making any money off from it. Right. Um, all of those things have to be, you know, perfectly in stone and that they're, this group's, you know, legal counsel is comfortable with it as well as mine. So um, there's a lot of details we have to still finish. Right. The website. Uh, give us the URL of the website where people can find you and even watch a movie if they haven't watched the, uh, the video clip they have out on Star Trek Phoenix. It's ST for Star Trek, and this is the stphoenix.com. You can also find this in any of the search engines. We come up at the top. Um, you can watch the episode online. You can download two different types of versions. We're going to be putting it probably on YouTube in the next two weeks. Uh, for those having any difficulty with the downloads, this depends where in the world you are located if you might have an issue with uh, the download process. So, Yeah, you can, down- you can actually download it in pretty high quality, too. Yeah, 720p, we were going to make it 1080, but it really most people's computer just does not operate well at that <laughs> resolution, so we just decided, oh, We'll make it 720p. I think we're going to make probably an ISO file available so that people can actually burn it to a DVD. 
to actually watch it because it looks so much better on a regular television um, and also on a, uh, a big theater in the movie house is where we were showing it here in Seattle. Oh, so you're actually getting it into some theaters? Well, one of the things that we did uh, for the entire month of April was show it throughout several theaters in the Seattle area. We wanted to premiere here first because it was a Seattle production. And, you know, a lot of people don't know is Phoenix actually became for two years the largest film production in the Pacific Northwest. And that's, you know, that's bigger than any feature film that's been here. That's, that also includes leverage that's filmed in Portland. Um, you know, it's massive. And so with that, we felt it was right if we did that first before making it available uh, on May 2nd to the rest of the world. So it has been in theaters. It looks awesome on the big screen. It's fun to watch. It's kind of a trip, actually, <laughs> to see it looks so real and so um, close to what we would probably see on television. Uh, well, Miles, do you have any other questions for uh, Leo? And I'm going to ask you, Chris, next. So. No questions. Just I let you know I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought, uh, I mean, there's a lot, lot of reasons to enjoy and like Star Trek Phoenix, but I, I like what you did with the backstory, with the little vignettes between the characters to kind of introduce them. I thought you guys did a good job with that and kept it brief enough, but, but long enough so we knew you know, where the, who these characters were and everything. So just enjoyed, enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, Chris, anything that you want to ask Leo before we uh, cut him loose here? Yeah, one thing. If I take a trip up to Seattle, is there any room for a walk-on for a red shirt that gets killed by a rock uh, monster? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny because we, 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 our cast is going to be needed just for, you know, beyond the principal cast for part two is massive. I mean, there's, there's a couple of scenes that's just incredible that we're going to have to find a bunch of extras and stuff. So uh, there's an away mission that goes to Romulus. Um, and so, uh, yeah, definitely. You can definitely kill you off if you like. <laughs> well, that would be awesome. The only issue is I have giant hair that you guys are going to have to some kind of, somehow rotoscope out. So, You, you know, our, uh, our special effects makeup artist worked on the new Star Trek movie for J.J. Uh, Abrams, and, you know, everything you see in Phoenix is actually um, a creation from the designers from that movie. So I, I'm sure he could probably make you... Uh, anything you'd like. So <laughs> fantastic! You know, uh, all seriousness, though, thank you guys for uh, for doing what you're doing. Because I know from a from a fan perspective, it's it's really cool to have more Star Trek available to watch. And everybody out there that's listening, please support these guys because you know I want to see more. So let's all get on the ball and support these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Leo, for uh, joining us tonight and uh, for allowing us to pick your brain, interview you about Star Trek Phoenix. Hey, can I just say one quick thing to everyone that's out there? Absolutely. Go for it. Hey, you know what? I can't say the networks, unfortunately, but I can tell you that um, two television networks have already reviewed Phoenix and are interested in uh, listening to our ideas for original series. Um, I'll let the, your imagination take you know you to where those networks might be, but uh, we're working very diligently to to present them with two original series. If you could send good vibes our way, because really what that will do for us is also make Phoenix still a reality, um, just because we're able to you know, have our hands in multiple directions. But you know, Phoenix has been a great stepping stone for us. But if we can actually get more original series out on TV for, for everyone to watch. That's really a huge accomplishment for us. So I just want to say 
Thanks, and uh, keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys also have a podcast associated with Star Trek Phoenix. Is that right? We do. It's called The Combat. We have not had one uh, for a little while. We're waiting for the pilot to kind of be out for an entire month. Um, to see what kind of feedback we're getting, and that way we can get back on uh, the podcast with the cast and some of the crew and talk about it, what we think, and kind of reminisce and take calls and stuff like that. So probably the month of June, we'll be scheduling one that people can uh, tune in to listen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for coming on our show and chatting about Star Trek Phoenix with us. Thanks, guys. It's been a real pleasure. I'm glad you uh, had me on. I had a lot of fun. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks, Leo. Thank you. Interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, yeah, it was really cool. It's cool being able to talk to uh, uh, other fan productions, um, you know, different medium uh, types of fan productions. So that's pretty cool. You would enjoy the folks from uh, Starship Farragut, then. Um, oh yeah, then, I could imagine. Yeah, yeah they're a nice group of people. And- they are, and t- totally different type of film because I mean they're they're really they're really trying to be true and. They want to be honoring the original series, and so they keep everything in that that same vein. But but some done some great great work with the, the animated episodes, which I know Chris you reviewed on your uh, your site before. Yeah, they actually did a really good job with that. I mean, it looks as good, if not better, than the animated series. So, yeah. well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Leo from Star Trek Phoenix, Leo Roberts. Make sure you check out stphoenix.com or type into the search engine. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I, did I say awesome? Uh, fan, piece of fan film that's out there, so check it out. we got to wrap up the show, Miles. Yes, we do. We have a Sci-Fi 5 and 5 that has been contributed from a listener, and this is from Jen in New York. And we're just going to bounce off here, Miles, back and forth. And uh, there, there, she actually writes a lot of reasons why these shows are... Uh, are in this list, and this list is the top five finales for her. And I, I assume that it's this season, is what I am, because it doesn't seem to be addressing any other finales from other seasons. But mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about the top five finales, and I'll start off with her number one, and, and then Miles will just mention the second one. We don't need to read everything that she has there, but it'll be in the show notes if you want to read a lot more detail what she actually had to say. Her number one was Supernatural. She absolutely loved the show. And, Miles, you and I have not watched Supernatural, right? That is correct. Chris, did you watch Supernatural at all? I've seen a few episodes, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of people rave, rant and rave about the show. We interview, interviewed uh, Alice Starr a few, uh, I guess, last year at Shore Leave. And just an absolutely phenomenal episode. Uh, apparently a phenomenal series, according to a lot of people. I just haven't watched it yet. So, Miles, number two? Number two, uh, number two, uh, Jen, Jen, uh, liked Fringe, uh, she likes to cast, and, uh, she has a thing for Peter. Uh, who, who, uh, doesn't, who doesn't have a thing for Peter? Come on. So, Chris, you, you watching Fringe goes to Nimoy? I should be, but I'm not. Ooh. No, I, I'm totally lame. I should totally be watching that. Glitter Nimoy on a current series, and I'm missing it. Yeah, yeah. I totally. Well, I gotta turn in my Star Trek card. Yeah, there you go. Oh, you, lo- you, you lost a major geek grid. I know. <laughs> 
Yep. Uh, number three, she liked Flash Forward, the finale, and it was crazy, and she wished that it would have uh, continued, as I think all of us did. And uh, Miles, number four? She put number, Lost on, and she said she was kind of disappointed in the end of the series, uh, holding out that, they, that all, all inducted by aliens, that they were in all comatose state, uh, and that, that was the light. Uh, so that was uh, her, her number four. And her number five was V, which I think that, Miles, you and I both agreed that the V finale was pretty good. And, uh, Chris, yes. you said you watched some, but you did not watch the finale. Is that correct? No, I'll be hitting it up on Netflix for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth hitting up on Netflix. She has a bunch of other shows she lists here, but we're just going to post them in the show notes because of time. But thanks, Jen, from New York, for sharing your sci-fi five and five. We totally appreciate you doing that. Well, that's it. we got to wrap up this show. Chris, where can they find Subspace Communique? Subspacecoms.com or subspacecommunique.com. Both work. Very cool. Trek culture, uh, Trek uh, news, Trek reviews. Uh, we write some funny stuff occasionally. Um, but, yeah, feel free to stop by. If anybody has any ideas for contributions, we always have an open door for that. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really yeah. appreciate and it. And they can also find you on Twitter, right? Yep, twitter.com slash subspacecoms. Yeah, does uh, Subspace have a Facebook page, you know, doing all the social media here? But... I do, uh, but since I have under 100 uh, fans, my URL is very long. So, uh, <laughs> you know, just do a search for Subspace uh, Communicate and you'd be able to find us. Oh, very cool, very cool. And, Miles, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am Son of Warf at Twitter. And you're also on Trekspace, right? Yep, Son of Warf at Trekspace. Very cool. Do you have a Trekspace account, Chris? I do. Subspace comms. Yep, there you go. definitely. So you find you there as well. So if you're yep. into the Trek universe, it's no place to find. We, of course, have our Facebook fan page. But fans, can, but, but people that, uh, listeners, you can always find us at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.com. And that is all our digits. And all the other places you can find us, our Facebook fan page, ways you can contribute to the show. Keep those iTunes reviews coming. We love getting them. And we really appreciate all you listeners for sticking around and supporting us over the past uh, year and a half as we've been doing this show. Almost a year and a half, Miles. Can you believe it? That That's uh, mind-blowing. I know it is. So, But thanks, Chris, for coming on the show tonight. Yeah, and I, thanks for having me. It's good talking to you guys. It is great talking to you. And, Miles, why don't you take us out? Till then, good night and good luck. <laughs> <laughs>